Welcome to A Slice of Orange on North Orange County Politics. I'm Jody Balma. We're continuing our series on judicial candidates for the June ballot. Today, I'm talking with Kimberly Saul. She talks about her experience working as a prosecutor, public defender, private practice, working with families, and how she wants to bring discernment and wisdom to the bench as a judge. The common theme has been her empathy and being motivated by meaning, how to understand your boundaries and become a partner to yourself. I encourage you to check out her campaign website and see some of the testimonials from people who've worked with her and talk about her passion for justice, professional demeanor, and the depth of her experience working with families in crisis, something she talks about today. So let's get started. Welcome to A Slice of Orange. Today I'm talking with Kimberly LaSalle, candidate for Orange County Superior Court Judge. Welcome. Well, thank you, Professor Obama. I'm so honored to be here with you and your listeners. This is very exciting for me. Good. So tell me a little bit about yourself and why why did you choose the law? Okay. Well, um, I first want to start, and I do this often because I'm usually speaking with young people. So I like to share things that don't sound very fancy, because I think it's really easy for us to clean up well. We look professional. People here, I'm an attorney. All of a sudden, they just think, oh, life must have been really grand, and this is the natural progression. So I like to back up and share um, that I'm extremely grateful to my grandmother for bringing my mother across the Rio Grande. Mm. And my family immigrated legally to this country my father is also a master sergeant, was before his passing in retirement um, in the Air Force, and they settled in San Bernardino. So I'm the youngest of 10 children, and we grew up in extreme poverty. We were grateful because we had a roof over our head, but food was often optional. Um, I don't share that to try and get sympathy as I think it is. it really shaped while I understood all of the issues that face families. So in my particular family, when you have someone who's trained as a soldier and then they come back to be with the 10 children, I had a brother then who went to Vietnam, returned with mental health issues. So under one roof, um, there's a situation where young people are not gonna function like soldiers. And so we did have, we experienced domestic violence, Mm-hmm. We experience alcoholism. We experience all the issues that regular families face. And I think since the pandemic with mental health issues, differences in how to parent, it's it's it can be very tense trying to raise a family with limited resources. And so Absolutely. all of that really shaped me. And, and I'll say also, I also was a victim of violent crime. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. I don't share that. I know people have often said, why do you share that? And I said, because if you knew the statistics of how many young women and men have experienced that and the shame that goes along with it, you'd realize that many of the people that come to the courthouse have all these invisible scars and they don't feel it's relevant. But in actuality, if we don't understand what people are dealing with, we're not able to be effective in our solution. So all of those things shaped my deep desire to want to serve people that were vulnerable. Uh because I'm really aware of what the backstory is. And we need to know that when we're trying to find solutions. Right. Yeah. And I love your openness and willing to share that because I think it is so important and it informs who we become 
and allows us to have empathy and to identify that with others. And since April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, you know, I often hear the stories. We do events on our campus. And I used to, when I would read that statistic of the number of people affected by sexual assault and violence, think that how could it possibly be that high? And once I got into the work, I thought, it's too low. There are far more people that have never admitted it to themselves, never shared that, never reported it. And I think it is far more common than any statistic can ever tell us. Absolutely. So I, I really appreciate you being vulnerable with us and in, in sharing your story. Absolutely. It informs the work I do um, so much today because my work is centered around youth advocacy when I have an openness and an awareness, I'm able to get to the heart. Um, and I, I do have a little story that I'll, I'll, sh- I'll just share right now, but I, sure. I know you have questions, but there was one situation and I do, um, there's a crossover area in delinquency. I call it youth justice because usually before young people get into the delinquency system, they're all, they're at risk. There's issues with school. Um, and we had one particular young woman who wasn't she was coming to court for about a two year period, but before she was in the delinquency system, she was in the dependency system because of other family members, nothing, nothing that she did, but just because of her being neglected and abused, she became involved with the systems. Um, The attorney that was assigned to her case happened to be out of the office. I went in just to speak with her as soon as I went into the detention facility and she was there on a violation she was enraged. And I knew immediately the first question I asked was, and she was cussing. I didn't take it personally. I didn't get overly invested in how it was impacting me because it wasn't about me. I said, who hurt you? She immediately named the perpetrator, said the issue. We were able to go back into court. So it's, it's, it's almost, it's so important to understand special education. It's so understand and it's so important to have like a holistic trauma informed awareness Mm -hmm. because you really can't serve the population. And that's what our courts are really understanding is that we have to be open to addressing these issues that in the past people would have said were not relevant. So the moment we went into court and we told the judge, your honor, we're not even considering going to school and dealing with these issues because she's not getting treatment or counseling for this sexual abuse. He said to her, and this is a a perfect example of an amazing judge bench officer. He looked at her validator said, you have some righteous anger and and dealt with that first so that we could deal with it. Then a few minutes later though, then it was, we have rules and there are consequences. Absolutely. Because it is public safety and it's also meeting the youth where they are. It's not either or. Right. um, Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's so important to understand that we have such a binary society where everybody wants one thing to be black and one thing to be white and and there to be no gray. And the world is just a spectrum of grace. And and we have to understand that we can have boundaries and we can have discipline and we can have rules and still be understanding and empathetic. Absolutely. Yeah. So Tell us a little bit about your professional bio. Where did you go to law school? Any advice you have for my future lawyers? Uh, and and then how do you choose the law you're going to practice? And what has that journey been like? Okay. Well, I would love to do that 
I'm actually going to share a little bit about my ballot statement because I think it does a really great okay. job of summer. I've been an attorney for 27 years. And so I didn't start off knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I was actually, again, and this is why I have so much respect for you as an educator and 2020, what one teacher of the year, I am aware Thank of you. award. <laughs> is because um, it was a teacher that really inspired me. I remember going to four different high schools in ninth grade, feeling very lost, newly moved from out of state and feeling just like academics. I wasn't sure if I had what it took Mm -hmm. to really have the skill. She was teaching a class at the community college invited me to come take the creative writing class. And that was my first kind of awareness of, wow, maybe I could be in an institution like that. And that's really what also spurs my desire to do civic empowerment and youth engagement. And I Mm -hmm. love working with the community and building. I think everyone has so many gifts within and talents that they need to bring forth. And um, so basically I, um, in that moment kind of decided I wanted to go to college, but I hadn't been prepared. I didn't come from a family that was take the SATs or do this or that. So I took the SATs, not knowing what they were, ended up going to a Cal State and eventually transferred to UC Irvine. Um, I was an honor student at UC Irvine because once I got engaged with education, it just in you know woken a fire within me and I loved it. Um, I took an externship working at Coastline Community College with head injured adults. So then I really understood I was a social ecology major. I really understood how people can appear to be functional and maybe comprehending things and that you really don't know on a neurobiological level or mm-hmm. I have an understanding of neuroscience. I didn't understanding all the processing and cognitive issues. So that kind of turned me on to saying, oh my gosh, I'd love to study the law. I ended up getting going to law school. I got a full ride to Loyola, um, amazing teachers. Um, so I'm going to just go into my ballot statement, which is awesome. With 27 years of experience as an attorney, I'm running for Orange County Superior Court Judge Seat 5. I'll bring common sense, fairness, extensive experience, leadership, and integrity to the bench. I've served as both a deputy district attorney and a deputy public defender, upholding the rule of law and defending the constitutional rights of the accused. My experience includes working with domestic violence survivors and extends to civil matters, too. As a prosecutor, I work to protect victims and bring violent criminals to justice. I will improve public safety because I understand from both sides the full scope of the issues we face. As defense counsel, I work with justice partners to address the needs of individuals grappling with mental health, addiction, and learning impairments to reduce crime, ensure public safety, and reintegrate um, individuals back into the community. So what happened was when I was at Loyola, I got a public interest law grant so that I could work for the full summer at the domestic violence clinic in Santa Monica back in the 90s. I mean, this was leading edge. And when I was there, because I had already come from a family of 10, I'd been exposed to domestic violence. I knew there was no bad guy. I understood that there are so many stressors when people can't feed their children when they feel a loss, when they have no job because there are no jobs, when they go from having status to working at Olizo Del Taco, which it's honorable work. Any work is honorable, but when it can't even pay a water bill and you can't shower, people don't have toothbrushes. It's demoralizing, especially when you've served your, your country 
you think this, you, how did it get like this? So for me, I didn't have judgment. I've always handled my cases very neutrally because I, I've always known, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I go in with a curious attitude. And when I would meet, most of our clients were females. We did have some male clients, but I, I was able to just connect with them right away as a support person, even though I was in my 20s. I never asked them the types of questions they would routinely get from others that hadn't been exposed. They would get questions like, why don't you leave? What's wrong right. with you? So right. re- right. People don't understand that that in and of itself makes them overwhelmed, want to shut down. It's like they don't have the energy to explain to you all the life choices and why they Right. Right. So- I was just, my, my way is always, I'm a skilled communicator and what I've always done for 27 years, I've, the majority of my practice been serving actual people and working with families in crisis. So I first started as a public defender because I knew, I thought it was the most noble of work. My mother told me Mm -hmm. serve people that no one will serve and that it's not popular. No one will love you for that. Um, and I knew that just like me, um, that there are the diamonds in the rough, like, right. That's what I believe. So I went to the public defender's office in LA and I had options and I, that was actually my number one option is to serve people. And I got to hear when people are in crisis, they are unbelievably honest with you in ways that you can imagine. So I was a public defender first in LA County. And I had a stint in Inglewood for almost two years working in juvenile, where I worked with so many young people. And a lot of what I saw was lack of opportunities, lack of resources. Um, That's when I first got involved and aware of like non-binary youth. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have awareness about that issue. And then I started having a lot of young people who were gender fluid. They wouldn't maybe identify as that. But that yeah, was our idea. words have changed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there were real legitimate reasons that they were not comfortable in the normal learning environment. And they were having all these external hostilities brought upon them. And it was really my job as an interpreter, you know, not to say because the law is what the law is. The judge is going to apply the law. But my job to expand the focus and allow the judge to have information that normally attorneys didn't think was relevant. And so I, I was able to share that and it was, it was really meaningful. Yeah. So then we arrive at the present. What motivates you to run for judge? Well, um, beyond my, I'm going to tell you beyond my criminal law experience. So I was a public defender and I also was a district attorney. I had such a good reputation and worked for so many years in the LA public defender's office. I went to San Diego because I was getting married. My husband relocated and the LA DA's office knew that I was interested in coming back and really tried to recruit me. They, I got many phone calls. So I was open. I knew that I, I wanted to expand my practice and I really felt I could do a lot of good work. And I, I loved working with the public. Um, I really excel at working with victims of violent crimes. And within my first year, I, I handled serious homicide and sexual assault cases. So um, I loved that. And eventually, though, I went into private practice, still doing indigent work for not, not for profit because I'm not, but I'm motivated more by meaning and what's going on with people. Um, I had no intention of running 
until this year and and did not it didn't originate for me so i i took the traditional route i applied to the governor um, because there's many skills and qualification that one has to possess so after i had already i was an experienced trial attorney handling the most serious of cases um after that point i really saw these issues in juvenile i started having i had a lot of clients who are 19 years old having multiple strikes on the records. I thought, what is going on? Um, In 2015 in Los Angeles, I was one of the founding members. We started exploring what was going on in juvenile advocacy and really looking at more prevention intervention. And so I worked with the Independent Juvenile Defender's Office and several pieces of legislation came down that really helped us understand the needs of neuroscience and speaking with leaders in the field, um, Elizabeth Kaufman at UC Irvine. I mean, Orange County, under the leadership of Assistant Presiding Judge Maria D. Hernandez, they've been on the forefront of juvenile justice. So I would go and follow her lead, read her articles, listen to her summits, and um, just really focused on that. That became my focus. Um, After the pandemic, I really saw that as an opportunity. People started seeing normal families who aren't involved in delinquency or dependency started really seeing the mental health issues that youth experience. Normal adolescent behavior that's not desirable really starting to be problematic. And so um, I started working with more law for children last year, uh, dealing with suspensions and other issues. Uh, They do amazing work. The founder there is, she educates statewide education lawyers so that people understand what we need to do to kind of support our support, not only our teachers, but Mm -hmm. support our parents and support the students because it's a team effort. There's no one to blame. We're all in crisis. Right. Um, So really was focusing on that, but then also realized that special education law, although it's very important, was not going to be the focus for me. It was, I'm very practical Mm -hmm. I'm very fiscally conservative in the sense of I don't need all the events that I've created for the youth at Orangewood or Constitutional Rights Foundation. I'll make a juvenile justice Jeopardy game. It doesn't cost any money. So I love doing that type of Mm -hmm. like youth empowerment. I just got to a point where with some of the issues I was seeing with special education, my advice would be to the family. You might get support from the school district, but nobody has the resources. And if you rather than pay and a lawyer, you right. might want to take your child to the occupational therapist and do mm-hmm. immediately this intervention. Mm-hmm. So I saw for me it not being the path forward. Um, I got a call in January, January 14th on a Friday, I got a call from judicial leadership and they said, some judges have announced that they're retiring. You need to run. And I said, I don't have a war chest. I'm not a person. <laughs> that is not going to be I don't think right. so. Right. The, the mental barriers we put up, yeah. well, not me. Yeah. And then I had stillness. I took a week, talked to my husband, mm-hmm. talked to my teenagers and um, also got word from the California women's lawyers that Orange County women lawyers had nominated me for an award that I had received it. I started to see some stars aligned mm-hmm. in my mind. I thought, okay, right. is, is this my path? And then um, made some other phone calls, had conversations, and then went down to the registrar's office to look and see and felt committed that I would take the next indicated step. So that's how I found myself in an election. I did take the traditional route. Originally, I applied 
for the mm-hmm. governor to be appointed because I felt that my body of work, if it was substantial, I know there are many qualified people, but if sure. if he merited worth, then I would move forward in that. I went through the evaluation process as COVID hit. Sure. So COVID hit, things stopped and stalled. Once I got out of the evaluation process, then the appointment secretary was elevated to the Supreme Court. Right. And then I had no movement. And so I know they have many qualified people to consider, but uh, sure. when I got the call, I decided to take action. So that's yeah. how I got here. I love that. I, th- there's so many common themes that I hear, particularly from women who are running, that they were asked to run, that they were recruited. And I think it reminds all of us how important it is to recruit, to, to identify, you know, some of the, the, the ideas that you're saying of identifying the gifts that people have and reflecting it back to them um, mm-hmm. to, to really encourage people who might need encouragement to run. And I think traditionally, we've looked to people to, to want it from childhood and to think of themselves. And that's not always the best skill set to have in these positions. So I really appreciate you sharing that story um, because I think it's important for young people, particularly to hear um, that we all think there's so many other people qualified and that is true, but you are one of them um, and, and identifying that. So, so one of the things that, that we see this large number nine seats that are open and there's a deputy DA running for judge in each of them. Um, including your opponent. Um, and, and one of the things that strikes me both in your resume and your ballot statement, but also in talking to some of these candidates is how much bigger our court system is than just prosecution. And I, I don't know if it's the influence of procedurals and law and order that we just think that the courtroom is for prosecution, that we just think that the courtroom is for the order section of the show. Um, and so you have a really kind of unique resume of experience that you've been in the public defender's office, you've been in the district attorney's office, and you've been in private practice. And through it all, I've heard you say, it's all about families in crisis. Absolutely. That that, that is the common theme. And it really resonates with me because it's never an individual on trial. It's never an individual victim. It's never an individual juvenile. It's always families in crisis. And so um, I, I think that children and youth justice in particular is going to be even more pronounced and prominent in our court system. And you have this incredible empathy and experience combined and so I just I just kind of want to highlight, I don't even know if I have a question for you because you've answered it so beautifully in your past answers, but I think just to highlight and emphasize how important your experience is for our court system, that we need you on the bench. Thank you. Well, and I love that. And here, here's what the strange thing is, is I've always been led by whatever is meaningful meaningful in my life. And so I do have three teenagers and I've, I've been married for almost 22 years, but the, what really struck me, this is event again, it's almost like divine intervention. I didn't create it, but it was like when I was doing 
the criminal law, which is important work. Then I had young people. And so I, I, I still did criminal law, but I transitioned into estate planning because it's now it's no longer just about, okay, this is my work and this is my vocation and I want to serve and I feel it's meaningful and it's definitely important for the families I work with. And in a very non-traditional way too, families aren't always just the biological family. Sometimes it's just the the cousin, the friend, the support person coming to court with that young people, but they care enough. Right. And so we need them. So I started looking at, well, I have young people. How do I protect them? How do I keep them safe? And my middle son was diagnosed on the spectrum. And so there's intervention. So right away I was thrown into dealing with school districts, insurance companies, and um, regional center for, Mm -hmm. for care. And then seeing that maze and that challenge and how, and I'm, I'm a persistent person. I will not give up because I was raised by a military person. And so I'm used to being horrible, but I I could easily, I I mean, that's when I realized, and I started actually doing yoga, you absolutely cannot cope under the weight of the pressure. You have to find people to guide you, to support you. If, and so what I started doing is that's why I became interested in, in youth and special mm-hmm. needs is because I realized that there's this crossover issue. So one in six children, uh, according you know to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, has a developmental disability, and it can range from mild, like mm-hmm. speech and language impairment, which many of us have had ourselves, sure. to not mild, you know, autism, cerebral palsy, and so you have these young people are growing up into adults, and the courts. I look at them. I want a tra- I want a transformational situation where it's a justice center. People are getting married. So you think of it's not just criminal. People have difficulties with their roommates. Well, they're going to small claims over right. security deposit. I work a lot with uh, Veterans Legal Institute. And you have people who have served our country, made sacrifices. Right of their mental health. I mean, their, their wives and their, their brothers and sisters and children did not know the level of sacrifice they made. Right. Right. And when they try and leave an apartment and move their security deposit is held and they would reach out. So I just handled an issue with the security deposit. And I I feel like if it wasn't my experience, my understanding that it's really more, it's like, yeah, we had 70 documents and some of them like, Oh, it's just a security deposit. doesn't matter. It really matters to go through those documents to lay out for the, the leasing company. This man had to not go to work, had to pay for gas, had to go buy really lay out what it entails to try and get their attention about Hey, this is only $800 to you. This is going to make or break this family. Right. And I think, um, I hope I didn't go on a tangent, but when people think of just criminal law, and it's almost like sometimes we want to get a little bit judgmental of like, those are people that aren't doing the right thing. So I don't have to care. Those people will come and live in our communities. Like right. I've never defended crimes ever. I, I, I look at our constitution and mm-hmm. I tell people, you're not going to like my advice because I'm going to tell you the truth, whether it serves you or not. But that's also why I'm so effective at what I do is Mm -hmm. because public safety is absolutely critical. No one gets support or empathy or compassion on the backs of victims. Okay. So, but at the same time, if you're someone who wrote a bad check, there are programs for that. We don't need to criminalize that and then make that person unable to get a job. 
Like right. we need to think broader about how yes. we interact. Yes. Um, yes. And because, because of all my, and that's the thing, being a mother of three teenagers, being involved in all the schools at every level, uh, not just a leader. I hear so often people say, I'm a leader. Well, sometimes as a leader, you really aren't privy to the truth. Sure. Right. Because it's really on the, the even working with the youth, if you come in and you have all the answers, they'll just nod and smile politely if you. If you really want to know what the issues are, then maybe be willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And that's why I learn a lot from the students I work with, not just undergrad, but college law school students. They will tell you a lot about what is not functional. Right. And if we have the good sense to listen to them, we can make some beautiful changes and, and all thrive. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this, that your involvement with the Young Women's Leadership Conference, your civic engagement, why that's important to you. Well, I, I want to say that um, I had always been focusing on individuals for the first few decades, individuals and then their families in crisis, because, you know, the family has to go through is going through it as well. And then I would obviously I would work with who I, I believe in collaborative work. That's why county council probation, the prosecutor's office. I was in the prosecutor's office, so I know what variables are important to them and what their main concerns are and who they have to answer to. I, I And I know that about many different offices. So I always want everyone to be able to, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to feel this was not, I was not treated fairly. And that's why I'll give everyone the pros and the cons. So what happened was, is I was still working in Los Angeles and was living, have been living. I went to UC Irvine, my husband and I graduated in 1991 and we relocated to San Juan probably 16, 17 years ago. And we've been raising our family here. So I went to an event, a youth justice event at Christ the Redeemer Church in Irvine and it was not well attended. And that just was like a light bulb moment for me. I thought, this is an amazing, nine amazing speakers, mm-hmm. but where is everybody? Uh, so I immediately, I got involved with the Orange County Bar because I hadn't been in, I thought it was a sure. professional organization, but I was so busy with little people and, and work sure. that I just hadn't developed that connection yet. I got involved with Thurgood Marshall Bar and then I saw a need for the students. I saw there was no Black Law Students Association. I saw that Chapman, the law, the students, when I talked to them there, they said they wanted one and they were mm. going to start one. They needed mentors. So myself and Dean Cruz volunteered. And then I went out to all the law schools. There were five law schools at the time. And it just caught, maybe there's only two students here, one student here, but a whole group, all of a sudden we have 13 young people with a passion and a mission and they want speakers. So I reached out, I have resources, I have lawyers, I have judges. We, we started seeing the movement. And all the while though, I had been working in the elementary schools because I had my own children. I had been teaching yoga and in the importance of self-regulation, not in a separation of church and state, because I really do believe that that's critical. And so when I, I quit, I didn't use any Sanskrit. I just called it self-regulation, but just movement. 
and self-regulation could really help the young people center and ground themselves so that they could really learn. And I was very into neuroscience. I started educating teachers on Carol Dweck's work, mindset. I got very motivated by, I, I always follow Stanford and their learning labs. And so Carol Dweck had a book called Mind, or you know, it was about mindset. It was growth mindset. And in 2015, I started educating teachers I started going to Downey Courthouse, Long Beach, teaching yoga, but really just self-regulation because I realized there were many adults when they're in that having to maybe public speak, having to represent themselves in court, having to just weather the challenges of life, didn't have those skills. So really going back to the basis, started teaching, training the trainers, right? If you want an effective culture, if you want young people to be um, engaged aware, proactive, then you've got to model and teach. And so once I started do, I was doing that every Friday at my children's school on the lunch hour. I saw the need in the juvenile detention series. So I got trained in mindfulness um, and just really realized that was helping me be more effective and not just to give them a tool. So if I meet, would meet with a young offender and they were need, they were needing to cooperate with the terms of their probation. Maybe they were getting elevated emotionally. I would teach them some breathing techniques so that they could realize really you're, you are in charge. Right. Right. That mindfulness is so crucial. It's all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, I, I, you know, civic education and engagement, mentoring is so important to me. What do young people need to know about our courts and and, and what are your priorities when you're a judge? Well, so one of the things was the young woman's um, leadership conference that we had. And so we had many justice partners. So specifically just judge Elizabeth G. Macias, she has a legal studies academy named after her at Santa Ana. I've been working with Chapman University and UC Irvine Law School, and we've been working with the young people. So she actually worked with the courts. And we I was part of a team in 2019 that went up to Los Angeles. We thought, why reinvent the wheel? Let's see how they're rolling out their young. uh, They have a youth empowerment civic leadership conference. They break it into female and male. And then if they're non-binary youth, they can self-select what they feel mm-hmm. comfortable attending. We bring in law professors, judges, head of the probation and police, real leaders, and female, a lot of female, for, right? Mm-hmm. So in 2019, um, I know that ju- Judge, um, Nam- I can't recall presiding Judge Nakamura, he he supported it. You need people mm-hmm. to support the right. program. We had many justice partners. We contacted the department. I reached out to the Department of Education. The Orange County Bar, Trudy Lewandowski, has been a huge supporter of youth engagement, their diversity inclusion committee. So it was just, it was a labor of love of how can we get as many stakeholders who want to let the young women who don't always lean in or step in know that that there are Judges that look like them from backgrounds that might be similar to theirs. And you don't have to free your life. It's not a grooming process with, oh, we'll send you were two years old. You knew that you were going to be a judge. Right. Right. Not everyone. We had one judge there that she thought she shouldn't be a judge because she often could see both sides. She felt she was wishy-washy. And I loved it because I knew 
I'm very much able to see that. I can understand that perspective. I can understand that perspective as well. But um, yeah, for me, well, well, and you know, Kimberly, it's it's something you said though that really struck me is that you don't have judgment for people. You're judging the situation and you're making a judgment ruling without judging the people. And I think that that's a really important distinction. And and I don't think I articulated it nearly as well as you did, but I think think it's so important because I, I don't think I'd ever thought about that, that we really don't want people who come in prejudging, right? With, with an agenda, with prejudgment, and that we want somebody who is open to hearing both sides, open to understanding the, that the family's in crisis and the extenuating circumstances while still applying the law. 100%. And I, I love that you highlight that because one, I had this experience that really helped me understand part of maybe why I was struggling with the, with the desire to be a decision maker in the courtroom, because when I would hear people say judge, I did often, there's like this feeling of punitive, there's this mm-hmm. correlation between hostility or, 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 or someone has to be to blame and to, to be punished. And so I remember uh, I observed a peer court scenario and I had some feedback for how it was handled so that it could be more developmentally appropriate, uh, still holding the offender accountable, but there was also some implicit bias that wasn't aware, but that I, it was very plainly on view to me. So I shared that. And I had another very high profile, high power attorney say, not knowing my background, not knowing that I've handled very serious, very serious cases and multiple homicides in the DA's office and public, like I've handled crisis cases, um, media cases. So he said, well, because I shared that I thought it wasn't as culturally sensitive, especially towards the Asian American family that was offering their story for the learning experience that had an interpreter. And then the feedback from some of the participants was not that we was riddled with implicit bias and that we might want to handle things better in the future. Mm-hmm. And that particular attorney said to me, you would never make it in court. Um, you know, a judge, a judge would say X, Y, Z, and people would be in tears. And I said, a judge should dis- discern with wisdom and maturity. And so what really had me understand is that too many years of watching law and order, too many years of people banging their fists on the table, thinking that through aggression, we express somehow more commitment or more passion about things. Right. And, And what I really felt was, you know, the people that come to the justice centers, you know, that's what I would like to have justice centers they, we, it's almost like you're a bad person. Everyone's ashamed to go to court because people look at you like, well, what did you do? Or what, what, right. what were you involved in that is somehow shady? There's like some shame around it when rather, you know, it should be a service. Everyone should be serving the community. The judge should be serving at the highest level. And then everyone else is also on that same path to serve. And so what does that look like? No, I don't mean getting everyone a blanket like right. you on first by fair, but it means right. that even though, even those that are accused, that's exactly they're accused. There is a presumption right. of innocence, so they can be treated with dis- dignity and respect as they enter the courthouse, or if they're brought in 
from a facility in, in confinement, whatever that looks like. But the whole point is we don't know until we actually are calling the case and have that opportunity right. to hear from both parties about what's going on. And I feel that a lot of even the domestic violence, a lot of women and men do not come forward with the factors that are impacting them or in family court, you have, um, you know, you might have maybe the marriage isn't working out, but they still want to co-parent the children. If we would allow more space for people to not feel ashamed to say, it would be better, I think, to have a woman say, I love my husband. I want them to have a relationship. I know my daughter loves her father, but he binge drinks. And so every three months he's not, he's going to be missing in action. And I'd love the father to be able to say yeah, that that is true. And I've tried to do X, Y, Z behavior right. to it, but I'm not there yet. And then we would actually know realistically what we would need to implement to try and get the family to right. be more functional, maybe with some community-based resources. Right. While still honoring the best interest of the child. So I think overall the skill sets that I have, not just through my legal experience, because it's, it is important. What I've experienced is important. And I've always pushed myself to learn and be at the leading edge of uh, I've navigated legislation when governor Brown uh, rolled it out. I was the individual training the lawyers and educating the judges and working with County council on how to, how do we move these cases forward? So I know right. what it takes to do that administrative piece, but I also think, you know, the just life experience because I have my life's been touched with homelessness as mm-hmm. a youth, domestic violence, survivor of sexual abuse. I understand a lot of the difficulties that families face. And so Absolutely. I want to bring that to bear. And that's, yeah. that's my calling. So that's my desire is to serve our communities at the highest level. And not for my glory, you know, not because I just want to, if I were elected by the people, part of my job would be being in the courtroom. And then I really see a whole nother aspect of that job of reaching into the schools and facilitating a pipeline and a pathway for educators Uh say, we really don't understand about the three branches of government. We need to come to your courtroom. You need to Skype into our classroom because you can't always afford the transportation, right? Right. The budget is, is. and we need to be partners in civic engagement. When I was growing up, we had civic engagement that's been stripped away for funding and a variety of other reasons. And so my complete commitment would be, and that's why I've been creating complimentary programs well over a hundred. That's why I've partnered with UCI and Chapman because I know that foundational work is critical to our democracy. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to put in the show notes, the link to the UCI pre-law outreach program for students who are in college. They do such amazing work. Um, And and so I'll put a link so people can learn more about that. So. So uh, what does a campaign look like? How do you run for judge? Uh, Campaign? Well, I got a very steep learning curve. And um, once I got past that, I don't have a war chest. Then it was, how do I, you know, I contribute my own resources and still ultimately what I chose to do with my family, what our comfort level is, because we understand people have 
people are struggling in Orange County. People have many commitments. We decided to do a very grassroots campaign where it's myself, my husband, my teenage children in a limited scope, given that they're eighth grade, 10th grade and senior and friends. And we are doing a very grassroots. So I'm accepting any invitation to speak to groups. I go to candidate campaigns. Um, I don't, obviously I have no, I'm not accepting any endorsement money from any political groups. I, I am unbought, unbossed, and I'm independent in my thoughts because I do believe in the integrity of the judiciary. And my intention is to apply the facts to the law and let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. Um, So what a campaign has looked like for me, I'm sure is very different than other folks, but I've talked to uh, friends, families, colleagues, tried to get guidance from people who've run campaigns on a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to move forward in that capacity. And so that's, that's what I'm doing. And I'll put a link to your campaign site. So people know how to get involved and, and become part of the grassroots if if they are so moved. So at the end of every show, I ask uh, my guests the same questions. What's the best advice you've got? Um, The best advice I have gotten, well, two pieces of advice. One is you're building your house. And so that means, for me, what that means is you are building, I am building today, the house that I'm living in, I am building it. So I have got to be true to myself. I try and do what the four agreements say, which is don't take anything personal. Don't make assumptions be impeccable with your word and always do your best. And what does that that mean? Always do your best. It's going to look different when you're nursing a cold or you haven't slept well, then it's going to be on a day you're thriving and be impeccable with your word. It's not just this always be honest because people almost use that like a weapon. It's, it's for me, it's, it's being honest also with yourself. If you're someone who leans towards being very hypercritical, I know a lot of our our young women are very critical of themselves, then you've got to become a partner to yourself and that voice Mm -hmm. inside. You've got to support yourself and say, you know, of course, be honest. Don't use surfers. If you made a mistake, then be honest. Like you're really not doing your best here. You need to make some tweaks. But honestly, we're doing so extremely well. So for me, the being impeccable with my word also means being my own support person. Mm -hmm. So the best advice is, like I said, you're building your own house. You're living, you gotta have that integrity and don't be split, split off, embrace that shadow side where we all have shortcomings. Right. Right. What's a book you like to recommend to people? I think my most favorite book at this point in time is called boundary boss by Terry Cole. It came out last year during COVID and I, I thought I had extremely excellent boundaries because I'm 52 at the time I was 51. I know how to navigate my professional world, my personal world. I have relationships, but what this book helped me uncover was that boundaries are always shifting, especially with your own family members. And me, you know, I happen to know my husband from high school, not that we dated and had this perfect story. We didn't marry till we were in our 30, you know, 30, but that the, sometimes the, the way you engage someone boundary wise within your family of origin or those relationships, it's not functional at 40 or it's not even for young people. It's not functional now that you're in your twenties and becoming your own person. 
Right. So you, right. you get to give yourself permission to go back in and kind of recalibrate, share your preferences. It's been life-changing. So I really share I this book. It. I cannot say enough good things about it. And if you don't want to read, she also has a ton of little YouTube clips you can listen to when you're commuting to wherever you're going. I love it. I love it. Good. So is there a hopeful message you can share with my students and your listeners? Well, absolutely. I think that everything is helpful. So even sometimes people will say to me, you're too bubbly or energetic. And what I say is, if you've gone through things like we've all have, and you're still standing, right? Like I see in every crisis as this opportunity for development and growth to this next level that you didn't even know. You just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know about your your greatness. So I say everybody has greatness within them. Your job is to just allow that to come forward in a way that's true and comfortable for you. Yeah. And and that's you're going to have a good life. And and there's still ups and downs, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So finally, who should we talk to next? I think that you I have two women, but the first woman that I would suggest you spoke to speak to is Antoinette Balta. And she is the co-founder of Veterans Legal Institute. She is an amazing human being, an amazing um, influence. And she is just the work she's done. And I mean, the veterans community, they've served over 8,000 veterans. Mm. I just worked with them in, in February. And I said, handle that security deposit case. They always need people to assist with unlawful detainers, given the homelessness and everything facing but um, I would say that that's life changing to one, when you do the work and you help the people that have served and given so freely, it's, it's very powerful. And she is someone that I think is really changing the face of how we view veterans, how we respect their service and how we honor them. And then the second individual, uh, I, like I said, I'm of counsel at Moore Law for Children, Meldy Moore at Moore Law for Children in Laguna Beach. She was a co-founder of a program called California Association of Education Attorneys. And so she's really on the leading edge of helping people understand how to add parents, teaching parents how to advocate for their children, how to help teachers understand best practice and how to handle. We haven't always been sophisticated in how we handle bullying Right. Or suspension, right? We're almost, there's a certain group of people that want to handle it in the way of like, Kids will be kids, but no, they need skills. They don't have the life experience to have the skills. So I feel that Meldy Moore at More Law for Children, by her creating this organization and and putting together these these parent seminars and educating attorneys and the community, it's to empower all of us, like what you do with your civic work. You don't need to defer to other, of course, get a coach. Talk to a doctor, talk to a lawyer. You can talk to professionals. Sure. They're one spoke in the bicycle wheel. Mm-hmm. There are many mm-hmm. other spokes and you are a vital ingredient. So I, yeah. I would say that those two women are really empowering our county. Yeah. And I'm sure there's lots of men doing the same work. I'm just intimately familiar sure. with those. Sure. So. Well, I appreciate it. That's exciting. So thank you so much for sharing some time with us and and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Professor Bama, it is my great honor to have sat with you today. And I want to just give you a shout out for being a tremendous educator and uplifter. So thank Thank you for your time. Thank you. 
So I realized that we don't ever acknowledge our uh, incredible production team. So I want to add this to the end. Thank you for listening to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma. I want to thank our executive producer, Ann Watfett, and our editors and producers, Alexandria Kim and Cindy Gimple. This podcast would not be possible without them. So thanks to them. Stop.